please stand for the reading of the gospel message. Today's reading is from John uh, chapter 14, verses 8 through 17, and verses 25 through 27. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I, been, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you, not, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The promise of the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the passage Farron has just read, we have heard Jesus assure his disciples and assure us that we will not be left alone, that there will be a comforter, that there will be an advocate, one who helps to intercede on our behalf, a paraclete, someone who speaks for us. In Jewish Midrash, which are teachings about scripture, we learn about a scripture from Genesis, chapter 11, verse 9, that says, therefore it was called Babel, 
because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over all the face of the earth. We are not able to communicate well with each other following this time of Babel. Even now, we say things that have little or no meaning. OMG, we say LOL, how are you? How often do we really want to know how someone is? Really want to know. See you later. Will we? We say empty phrases without thinking much of them. But the communication that God inspires of us is communication that is well understood by both the speaker and the hearer. Lead us out of Babel where we claim our own languages and cast out others, where we care for our own and make war with other tribes, where we are insular in our cliques, our groups, our fiefdoms, and we stand in a circle facing inward, not letting anyone else in, where we create borders that we call protection, and shun those we say don't belong inside. Between humans and God, helping to facilitate that conversation, helping us to understand that we truly are the beloved children of love. In Acts 2, verses 1 through 21, we hear the story of this day that we celebrate today. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they all met in one room. Suddenly, they heard what sounded like a violent, rushing wind from heaven. The noise filled the entire house in which they were sitting. Something appeared to them that seemed like tongues of fire. These separated and came to rest on the head of each one. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as she, the Holy Spirit, enabled them. Now, there were devout people living in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven, and at this sound they all assembled. But they were bewildered to hear their native languages being spoken. They were amazed and astonished. Surely all of these people are Galileans. How does it happen that each of us hears these words in our native tongue? We are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya around Cyrene, as well as visitors from Rome, all Jews or converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs too. We hear them preaching each in their own language about the marvels of God. All were amazed and disturbed. They asked each other, what does this mean? But others spoke mockingly, saying they've drunk too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and addressed the crowd, women and men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, listen to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you think. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, it's what Joel the prophet spoke of. In the days to come, it is our God who speaks. I will pour out my spirit on all humankind. Your daughters and sons will prophesy. Your young people will see visions. And your elders will dream dreams. 
even on the most insignificant of my people, both women and men. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon will become blood before the coming of the great and sublime day of our God. And all who call upon the name of our God will be saved. All will be saved. This is God's word. Koinonia is a Greek word for fellowship. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It refers to community, one's place in a group, and the representation of fellowship such is a joint gift. This word appears 17 times in the New Testament. True Christian fellowship, what the Greek New Testament calls koinonia, is the Spirit's gift to us. The spirit that came down on Pentecost came bearing gifts. The gift of fellowship, the gift of koinonia to be shared with and among us. And yet, this fellowship is critically lacking in the institutional church today. And this lack goes to the very heart of the impotence, rigidity, and so-called irrelevance relevance of much of the modern church. The concept of koinonia is an important one because it's supposed to characterize the church. Inclusivity, participation by all. John says that the purpose of the gospel is to lead people to have koinonia with others and with God. And several verses in 1 John exhort us to have koinonia with the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, in Philippians, and in Acts, we hear of the very young church they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devoting themselves to koinonia. This koinonia refills, refers to more than a warm feeling of relationship. In Romans 15, which lists churches that have made contribution to the poor in Jerusalem, we read about the contribution that is the word koinonia. In 1 Corinthians, we hear that communion is koinonia. In Philippians, it says that we are to have an active koinonia with the gospel, a fellowship through our giving, through our study of scripture, through our participation in communion. Like many of the seeming nouns in the Greek, this natural result of koinonia is inherent in its existence. And that's something we should remember, that there is no fellowship without action. Our actions are widely influenced by our associations. Fellowship is both the unity of the group and whatever is brought forth out of that association. You might say that God is not a great gardener. The story about God as the gardener tossing the seed everywhere, that's not where a gardener would normally plant things. They would plant them in an orderly way and then weed them out and, and choose order. But that's not how God is as the gardener or how God is as that which comes down as the Holy Spirit as Pentecost, resting on everyone's head. The Spirit is given to all of us lavishly, no matter how equipped we feel we are to deal with it. We're messed up. 
Why would God spread the Holy Spirit on these disorganized and unworthy humans? Because God believes that there is hope for us, that we can spread that fellowship, that we can be in relationship with others throughout the world. God relentlessly pursues us to the ends of the earth. And like a child adopted and unsure whose new parent whispers in her ear, I love you, I will never leave you. That's how God reminds us that we are God's own beloved. The Holy Spirit, as an advocate, is active, doing something. And when Jesus says these words, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, he then says, do greater works than these. Love more. Love better. Knowing that we can do it. Pentecost is one of my favorite days in the church year. Raised as a Christian scientist, there wasn't a celebration of Pentecost in that church. And one of the first things I learned through the disciple course here at Wesley with Pastor Joel Gilmet was about Pentecost. In fact, I was baptized here at the altar rail that used to be here by Pastor Joel Gilmet at Pentecost with Kathy Temchek as our lay leader in her wonderful red hat that day. And I today am wearing a stole given to me by Oren Watson. Some of you may remember Oren, a wonderful saint here at Wesley. I remember singing with Oren. I remember sharing Bible studies with him. And we also shared a birthday, which was great fun for both of us. Pentecost is a wonderful celebration. And it makes me wonder why it isn't celebrated like Christmas or Easter. It's equally as important. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birthday of the church. Maybe it's because we're too busy. But really, it is because it so unambiguously requires us to carry the gospel into the world and blow our own covers. We are called to go into the world and to share this koinonia, this fellowship with all. And if we were to celebrate Chris, uh, Pentecost as well as we celebrate Christmas and Easter, everybody would know that we are a Christian because we'd be doing our jobs. We'd be out there in the world sharing God's love. It's one thing to adore the infant Jesus at Christmas. It's another to mourn the death of Jesus in our insular communities. It is something else entirely. And to many, very scary to proclaim the gospel in every action we take and to publicly declare ourselves to be those people, those Christians. But Pentecost does just that. Pentecost gives us marching orders. Do we listen? Christmas is so much easier. And yet we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, take and transform our societies. The songs that we heard the band sing about refiner's fire, it's not a benign thing. It's a transformative thing, this Holy Spirit that comes upon us. It's a thing that helps broken people find healing and lonely people find love and bitter people find peace and fearful people find hope. Can you imagine yourself being that catalyst? 
Can you imagine the way that God has called you to do those things as an imperative, as an action that you are required to do? We want this Holy Spirit to fill our church, that our worship will be ever more pleasing, that our prayers will change our minds, spur us on to action, instead of trying to get God to change God's mind. That our lives make a real difference to real people in the real world. On this day, we call for the Holy Spirit to fill our lives with presence. So that more and more every day, all that we do and say and hope will be an act of worship. An expression of love that glorifies God. On the day when we are wearing our certainty like a cloak and our sureness goes before us like a shield or a sword, may God's name spill from our lips as we have never spoken it before. May our knowing be undone. May mystery confound our understanding. The mystery of the Holy Spirit that was so amazing and astonishing on that day. Let that divine run down like strange syllables and yet with an ancient familiarity. May there come one searing word enough to bear us to the bone, enough to set your heart ablaze, enough to make you whole again. Theologian Walter Bruggerman says this, we hear the story of the wind at Pentecost, holy wind that dismantles what was, holy wind that evokes what is to be, Holy wind that overrides barriers and causes communication. Holy wind that signals your rule even among us. We are dazzled, but then reverting to type, we wonder how to harness the wind, how to manage the wind by our technology, how to turn the wind to our usefulness, how to make ourselves managers of the wind. When I spoke of the Midrash earlier, of the Jewish theologians who had looked at those Hebrew texts. The reason that God confounded the speech of the people in that day was because they sought things for their own use. They sought to build a tower to get to heaven themselves. There's a variety of interpretations of whether it was to alleviate the flooding that happened by propping up the skies, propping up what they perceived to be a, a barrier between heaven and earth that held the rain back. Uh, an effort by them to take more control. And so God confounded the speech. But Jesus came and helped us to understand that there was connection. So the action piece of today's lesson comes from Diana Butler Bass, who says, a wee reminder to my United Methodist Church friends, she's UCC herself, she reminds us that Methodism began as a spiritual movement to renew a decaying institutional church and serve the outcast, the marginalized and the poor. She says early Methodism was messy, empowered women, and gave enslaved person a sense of freedom and created a vision of liberation and justice. The deepest Methodist identity is that of hearts on fire with love, 
of risk and rebellion, of holy revolutions, of challenging ecclesial authorities who say no, of listening to the voices to the outcast. So remember, John Wesley did not start a church. He wanted to renew a church that had become narrow and moralistic and cold. He wanted to renew it through new hearts, a new courageous spirit, community that included the least and the unwanted and a passion for Jesus. That's the church I want to be a part of. How about you? It was a fearless spiritual movement, fearless. Without courage and risking all for love, there would be no Methodists. Don Matthews wrote that early American Methodism was a volatile, alienated, defiant, and charismatic movement that empowered those who were demeaned and degraded with a revolutionary sense of God's liberating love. How lucky are we to be the recipients of this gift, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who has come to reside among us, who has brought with it the spirit of koinonia, of fellowship, a fellowship whose barriers are porous, who always welcome another. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.